Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, I Am Strong. We learn in this series that when we surrender our weaknesses, we gain strength. Our prayer is that you give your weakness over to God so He can use your strengths to bring Him glory. Good morning. How's everybody? First of all, we're going to get to that scripture in a second, but first, I got to, y'all are hardcore. That's almost a nine o'clock in a monsoon. Like, uh, that's pretty awesome. And like, our parking people are insane. I will say that. They're awesome. Um, very thankful for them and for all of you coming out and uh, just helping us kick off this nine o'clock service. And here's the thing that, that I believe um, I believe we can fill up these seats at nine o'clock. I believe we can fill them up with people who need to know Jesus, who need to um, experience the grace that he offers and the power of our living God, who is not dead, but is alive, that lives in us. And we've tasted and we've seen, we know that he's very real and alive. And I believe he can fill these seats up at nine o'clock, just like he did at 1045. Um, and so be praying that with me. Be praying that God would move in people's hearts and do incredible things. I like this because now I can see you. And if you go to sleep, I can yell at you, right? And uh, so it's going to be fun. It, it'll be a good day. So we're going to be looking at the triumphal entry. I wanted to ride in on a donkey, and they wouldn't let me. There's something about the school and, you know, things that donkeys do. And so they wouldn't let us do that. But I'm very excited to go through the scripture with you today and uh, just look at what this means to us as we go. And, and we actually are wrapping up this series called I Am Strong. Um, thank you, John Irvin, for an uh, awesome message last week. And uh, just um, all that, that God did to speak through him. And uh, we're going to look today. Here's Jesus riding in on the colt of a donkey, this, this uh, animal that was actually known as a beast of burden. Um, and he comes in seemingly very weak. Um, and yet we know in the end, because hindsight's twenty twenty, that he was coming in very strong. And that God was about to do uh, something for us. Um, Jesus, our God, was about to do something that no one else could do for us and go to the cross, um, die, be buried, rise again, ascend to heaven, send back his Holy Spirit to give us life that we can know him. So I want to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this text. And uh, man, just believing that, that in this place right now, at 9 o'clock, God's going to do awesome things. Amen? Amen. Let's go. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity. God, to serve you, to be here, God, to uh, just fellowship in the presence of your spirit. Um, Lord, sometimes it's so easy for us to take our eyes off of you and, God, to begin to take things ourselves and begin to um, no longer surrender our, ourselves and our lives to you, Lord. And today I pray, um, God, wherever we're at, that when we leave this place, our lives would be surrendered to you, our strength, and that, God, we would find strength in you. I thank you for how you've spoken to my heart. As I prepared this message and I ask, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's one um, thing I remember pretty distinctly from high school. And I bet those of you who are, who are in school now, you, you'll understand this. But those of you who are like me and you've been removed a lot farther from high school than it seems like you should have been removed from high school, um, almost 20 years now, been out a little while. Um, there's something that I still remember very distinctly from high school. And there was one word that somebody could yell that always drew a crowd. Fight, right? Somebody yells fight and it was like, Whoa! Everybody was coming around. Everybody was gathering up and, and there was always a crowd around the fight and people would always gather and they wanted to see who was going to win. They wanted to see what was going to happen. And, and, and the guys fighting was okay. But man, when the girls fought, 
hair, clothes, stuff just flying everywhere, right? It was crazy. And so people would always gather around the fight and they wanted to see um, this fight take place. And there's just something about it. That's why I believe like UFC is so big. People are gathered around the fight. They want to see it. They want to see who wins. They want to see what's happening. And when we come to this text of Jesus riding in on a donkey, these crowds gathering, we see a lot of people gathering for different reasons. Um, but, but here's what they were all anticipating. They're all anticipating a fight. They were all thinking, this is about to go down. The Jewish people who uh, had, had been looking for this promised Messiah, they, they were finally thinking, now's the time. Um, it's finally time. All of the promises of God are about to take place, and Jesus is about to overthrow the government. They're about to, he's about to overthrow this Roman oppression, and we're going to be set free the way God always promised. And there was going to be a fight, but the problem with it was there wasn't going to be a fight in the way that they thought the fight was going to take place. Jesus wasn't going to win them an earthly, temporary kingdom. He was going to win them a kingdom that would be eternal and that would meet their deepest need, salvation, forgiveness of sins, and reconciliation to God, not a temporary need of Roman oppression. Aren't you glad that God didn't do like just a little thing, but that he did the big thing? That he didn't just take care of a few years, but he took care of eternity, right? Come on now, it's nine o'clock, y'all can wake up, right? Isn't that good? It's awesome that he did that for us. But here's the thing, when we come to this and we think about this fight, it kind of gets us jazzed up. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. We look at it and we're like, we know the outcome of this story. We know who wins. Man, I'm pumped. I'm ready to see Jesus punch Satan in the mouth. And I'm ready to, to get to that part, which we're going to get to next Sunday as we look at how Jesus rescued us. But here's the thing that we need to see is that these people were coming to a fight. We, we always romanticize and we glorify the tri- triumphal entry. And we should because we know the ultimate ultimate outcome. But when you look at it from the terms of which these people were coming at it, coming to this fight, coming to this moment when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was riding in on this donkey, we come to this place of realizing that this scene, far from being glamorous and glorious, it was really horrific. And the reason I would say that to you is this, when we read this text and we read this scripture, We see people who are in a lot of different positions, but the one thing that they all have in common is that they are confused. There's not one person in this scene other than Jesus who really has an understanding of what's taking place, who really has an understanding of what's about to go down. And it's important for us to recognize this on Palm Sunday. So many times we'll have the kids waving palms and we'll have all of this to do. And and we should as Christians looking back. But the problem of it is that they didn't have the the, the resurrection to, to, to go to and realize this is what it's going to be like. They were all confused. What scares me about this is how many people today, even in the church on the other side of the cross and of the resurrection are still confused about the identity of Jesus. Right? And how many of us, so many times we can get to a place where even though we know Christ, there's times when we live as though we're confused about his identity. And there's three different people I want to talk to you about in this text today, because I think that there's a good chance you'll find yourself in one of them, maybe all three of them, maybe two of them. And I find that these things can take place on either side of the cross. They can begin to creep into our life, whether we know Christ and whether we are saved or whether we don't know Jesus and, 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 or whether we, we, we don't know him and, and we're just living as if he doesn't exist. But here's the thing 
that I would tell you there's three different types of people who are present at the triumphal entry. And I want us to look at them. First, look at Luke 19.37. It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, he's approaching Jerusalem. They're thinking this is about to go down. The whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 12, verse 18, it tells us that, that people came, those who had heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, not the ones who even saw it, those who heard about it came because they heard that this Jesus was coming to town. It was almost like the circus was coming to town. It was almost like Justin Bieber, somebody was coming to town, right? And, and, and all the middle school girls, they got together and they went out and they, they welcomed Justin Bieber into town right on the dog. Jesus, not Justin Bieber. I'm not saying that. So don't email me and tell me that I was trying to compare it. I'm just saying it was a big deal. And so he's coming into town. He's riding on this donkey and they're going out. But the first group of people are going out, not because they understand who he is and what he's doing and what he's going to do, but because they're curious. The first group of people are the curious people. It's the crowds that came because of the miracles. And there's something about Jesus that draws our curiosity, isn't there? Because here's the thing I can tell you. Every person in here, if you look within your heart, you know, and you can tell me you don't, but you know that there's something bigger that you were created for. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. We know that there's something bigger that we're created for. We know that our identity isn't just in who we are, but there's something bigger about our lives. There's something bigger that we were created for. And God placed that in our hearts. And because Jesus holds our identity, because he is eternal and he gives us the ability to live eternally, there's something that is curious about Jesus. Even people who don't know Jesus are curious about Jesus. I saw something the other day that said this showed the Bible on the History Channel. How many of y'all watched it? Yeah, yeah. I got it DVR. I hadn't even had a chance to watch it yet. But I saw where it has been watched more than American Idol. Which is awesome, right? But doesn't it tell us something about the curiosity that people have with God and this story of redemption that God wrote over thousands of years and 66 books and over 40 authors, that there's something curious about it. And people come because they're curious. They know there's a greater purpose. They know there's more to life than this daily grind that we go through. And they know that there's more to life than just 70 or 80 years. And we just die and we go there's something more that we know but here's the thing here's the thing curiosity has to lead to faith curiosity has to lead to repentance curiosity has to lead to surrender it leads us to this moment where we come to the realization that jesus is who he says he is we'll never surrender and follow jesus until we're clear on who he is and what he's like you're not going to follow him until you do realize excuse me he is the king of kings that he is the lord of lords that he is god and that he is loving and he is just and he is righteous and he has come to make a way for us until we are clear on that we'll never move from curiosity to repentance and faith and surrender because here's the reality the gospel asks more of us than our curiosity can ever supply until we know we'll never follow the thing is that there are a lot of people who I think are curious, but we don't think of ourselves as curious. We think, man, we're sold out followers. And this week, here's, here's the difficult, here's the challenge for me, man. 
I feel like, and you might agree with this, I feel like we say the same thing from this stage over and over and over again. We're like, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And yet we feel like there's so many people who don't get it. And, and you try to think of how can I say this differently? How can I say it so that they realize there's more to it than just attending for an hour and 15 minutes. For most of you, an hour on Sunday morning, right? That there's more to it. And yet we just can't seem to get it. And it has to come from a revelation of the Holy Spirit. These people didn't get it until Jesus was resurrected and the Holy Spirit came. But here's the thing I would tell you. There's more to it than just being curious. Some of us don't think we're curious, but here's where a lot of people fall. And maybe you fall into this, that you come to church when things aren't going so good. Because you get to this place where you think, man, I need something. And I really, I think that Jesus probably holds the answer. So you come in and you go out and you come in and you go out and you come in and you go out. But you're always curious and never committed. There's never this point of surrender where you say, finally, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm dying to me so that I can live for him. And then you spend the rest of your life, moment by moment, day by day, dying to yourself to live for God. Because you'll try to revive yourself. My question to you today is, have you come to that place? So here's the reality. If you come here because you like the music and you're like, man, they're awesome, man. It's like going to a concert, man. That drummer, he's crazy. He's like the animal from the Muppets. And, and you, you get all jazzed and, you, and you're like, I love the band, man. And the, that, that preacher, he's so goofy and he tells stories. And, and man, I really like it. But if you're just coming here or you're attending any church just because you like it, here's the thing that's going to happen. At some point, there's going to be something you don't like. And you can walk away. But when you come to this place of realizing that it's bigger than you and it's bigger than a curiosity, it's about I'm sold out. And listen, we're no longer church hopping, going from place to place, looking for something that will satisfy our curiosity. But we finally say, I'm bought into this, these believers. I'm going to join my heart with these believers. I'm going to be heart and soul with these believers. And we're going to walk together. My life is no longer my life. But first, it belongs to Jesus. And second, it belongs to the people that are sitting around me right now. And we can walk through anything together. And there's great strength that comes when we know we have each other's backs. But we've got to move from curiosity to surrender, to faith, to repentance that all take place simultaneously at the moment that we realize who Jesus is and what he is like. The second group of people, look at 37 again, and we'll read through 38. It says, when he came there, that the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And listen to this. They began to say, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And these people, they, they, they were saying, He's the Messiah. He's the King. But the second group of people, I would tell you, are the conditionally submitted. They're conditionally submitted. They're yelling, Hosanna, basically saying, God save us. They're waving palm branches. And that was symbolic of their national patronage, their national pride, that we're about to take over the Romans. Our king has come, and they're waving palm branches, and they were saying, this is going to happen. They would put palm branches on money. They would put palm branches on different things to show their national pride. And they're saying, we're going to overthrow the government, and we're going to live, and we're going to be free. And they're waving palm branches, and they're, they're saying, Jesus, you're our king. They put their cloaks out on the road. You've always heard this. But what that was symbolizing is that they were saying, we're submitted to you. We're 
submitted to your kingship. We're submitted to your lordship. Here we are. And they're laying him on the ground so that he can ride over him on his donkey as he goes into Jerusalem. And they're saying, we're completely submitted. And I wonder how many of us have said, God, I'm submitted to you. I love you. I'm going to give my life to you. But the problem has always been that it's been conditional as long as Jesus was doing our agenda, not doing his agenda through us. So we come to this place where we say, yeah, I'll lay my cloak down. We stand up, we raise our hand, we say a prayer, and we think it's done. But in reality, the posture of our lives and the posture of our heart has never been, I'm submitted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's conditional. When we think that Jesus is going to step in immediately, heal our marriage, bring our kids home, do all of this amazing stuff, free us from our addiction, take care of our job situation, and do it immediately, we're all in. And we scream, Hosanna, Jesus, save us now, which was basically there cry of saying instant gratification lord set us free give us what our hearts really desire and they come to this place so of realization that jesus wasn't going to fulfill their agenda he was going to fulfill his agenda and the same people that yelled hosanna seven days later were yelling crucify and too many times listen i might i might yell at you a little bit today is that all right i'm sorry but i really want you to get this So many times we come to the Lord and we say, I'm submitted, but it's conditional and we don't really lay it down. Or if we lay it down, it's just to lay it down to pick it back up. And we don't really lay it all out there and we don't really trust him, but we just say, Lord, yeah, here it is. And as soon as he's gone, we pick our cloak back up. And especially when we realize that he's not just coming in to do what we wanting to do but he's coming in to do what we could never do i would ask you in light of what we know happened isn't jesus worth more than our curiosity and our conditional surrender when we look at god himself coming in the flesh to give his life that we could know him doesn't that show us a pretty good investment in who He is and who he believes us to be and how he loves us, that we can trust him. When we see that he overcame sin and death, that he literally punches Satan in the throat. We love a fight. That's a fight. Jesus saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, that he defeated him. That is our God who did that on our behalf because he loves us. Doesn't that give us greater sense of who he is and what he's like that we should surrender all that we have all that we have and here's the thing i can tell you right now if you take two seconds you can think of areas of your life that you're not trusting him with me too and every day we come to this place of having to make a decision who am i going to trust with my life And right now, many of us are weighted down. We're not living the life that Jesus would want us to live, that he died for us to live. We're not experiencing abundant life. And the reason is not because God's not willing to give it to us. It's because we're not willing to trust him. And lay it down and surrender with our very own lives. Here's the reality. Is that we're either 
surrendered, we've either come to a place of repentance and faith. Repentance meaning I'm turning away from my old life, I'm turning from my sin, and I'm turning to the life that God offers. Faith being this realization of who Jesus is and this taking hold of Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and coming to this place where we trust Him with all that we are and all that we have, that He becomes the one who guides our decisions, that He becomes the one who guides our relationships, that He becomes the one who guides how we spend our money, that He becomes the one who guides everything about us, how we parent everything about us. Have we come to that place to let it go? And listen, I know you and I know there are things in your life that you think there's no way I can possibly let that go. I would say, yes, you can. If you come to a place where you see who he is and you know what he's like. And here's the thing, when you get tired of being tired, when you get tired of trying to fight this fight, And you finally realize that Jesus fought the fight for you and that he won what you couldn't win. You'll come to that place of surrender, of letting it go and trusting God to be what he's promised he'll be. The third group of people that I see here in 39 through 40. And it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, The stones will cry out. The third group of people that were there were the threatened. The threatened. The Pharisees were horrified of Jesus. They were horrified. And we know that they were opposed to him because he tells them, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were praising him as king. And Jesus says, and and they tell Jesus, rebuke them. They're doing what's not right. Rebuke them. Don't you see this? This isn't right. And they were opposed to him because they were threatened by him. And here's the reality. If we're not submitted, then we're opposed. If we're not surrendered, we're opposed. There is no other option. If you look at Matthew 12, 30, we realize Jesus says, listen, he who's not for me is against me. There's no third party there. Either we're for him or we're against him. Either we're following or being in rebellion and disobedience. There's no other way. And we see in here that these Pharisees are threatened. Their way of life is threatened. They can't surrender to Jesus because he's afraid they're going to change. He's going to change their lives. Isn't that kind of crazy that we hold out on Jesus because we're afraid he's going to change his life when most of us in here would say that there's areas of our lives that we're miserable in? Isn't it crazy that we're afraid Jesus is going to change our lives when that's the point? Right? Yeah. We're like, man, my life, I just wish I was happier. And we just whine and we mope and we complain. And then we're like, I can't surrender to Jesus. He might change my life. He, he might require something of me that I don't think I want to give. He might make me in that relationship. He might make me treat my wife differently. He might make me do something that, that, that I don't want to do. He might make me write a check to the church. He might make me go to Africa. He might make me do something. That's the point. I am all about wanting Jesus to change my life because there are areas of my life that need to be changed. But we come to this place where we have to let it go. One of the biggest problems is that we think our sin and our rebellion can offer a better life than Jesus. And there's something in reality. I know there's some teenagers in here. You need to listen to this. You will come to this place in your life where you have to make a decision and you will have to make a decision and decide 
Does Jesus offer me a better life? If I really obey his commands, will he give me greater satisfaction than if I walk in sin and I walk in rebellion? The answer to that is you will never be sorry that you serve Jesus. You will never get to a point in your life where you look back and go, wish I'd live like hell more. Never. But you have to come to this place of decision that Jesus offers a better life than my sin and my rebellion, that he doesn't threaten my life, but he offers to give me life. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be kind of open and vulnerable here with a little, little bit because I want you to see this. It's, it's absolutely hilarious too. Is when I went, I, I did my aunt's funeral a few weeks ago and Susan and I were leaving and we, we stop and we get gas uh, in our car and, and I'm pumping the gas and Susan was in the back of the car. She, she can go back there and change. Like she's like Superman, like going into a telephone booth and coming out. I'm like, how does she do that? And so she goes and she's in the back and she changes clothes real quick. And I'm out there pumping gas. And, and then I, I catch out of the corner of my eye, this little sports type car pulling up. And I see this woman get out and she's got on skinny jeans and she's got on boots, like real tight pants. And she's got on boots. And in my mind, this is my thought. I bet she's hot. I mean, just be honest, right? Like people are like, do you struggle with lust ever? I'm like, listen, when I became a pastor, I didn't become a eunuch. You know what I'm saying? And so in my mind, I'm thinking, I bet she looks good. And so I'm like, don't look, don't look. I mean, my wife's right here. I'm thinking God's right there. Wife here, God there. Good looking girl. Wife, God, girl, wife, God, girl, wife, God. And I'm like, like a ping pong ball. And I'm like, I'm going to honor my wife. I'm going to honor God. But I bet she looks good. I'm going to honor my wife. I'm going to honor God. I bet she looks good. And I'm like, I'm going to honor my wife. And so I'm pumping gas. I'm like, I'm going to pump this gas and we're going to go home. And so then I'm pumping the gas, I'm pumping the gas, I'm pumping the gas. And so finally I get done pumping the gas and I turn to put the nozzle in and she's standing right there. I was like, oh gosh. And then I looked and she was like 80 years old. (laughs) Do you know how stupid I felt? I'm sitting here having this struggle, beads of sweat coming off my head. I'm like, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. And then I look. And, and listen, I love 80-year-old women. I'm, I'm just saying, I, I, it's not, not about, but I'm telling you, it was like this crazy moment where God spoke to my heart, even in the midst of that, and was like, isn't that like sin? Isn't that like when you rebel against me? Because you think that there's something so attractive over here that you can't, whoo, I got to look at that. I got to have that. I need some of that. And then all of a sudden, you go into that, and it never is what you thought it was going to be, is it? Never. And we hold on to this stuff so tight and we're like, he can't have this. 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 And the whole time we're holding on to something that's taking us down a path of destruction. That's not bringing the abundant life that God desires to give us. And we're so threatened by Jesus. We're so threatened to surrender. We're so threatened that he would change our lives. But the fact that he would change our lives would be for our good and his glory, right? Because those things that lead us away from him are never as amazing, never satisfying as we think that they may bring it temporarily, but it never, ever lasts. It's just like a, these beer commercials, right? They never show like a 300 pound dude chugging beer and beating his wife. Never. They never show some of the end results that, that it brings. Well, they, they show girls in bikinis and guys with like, I don't, they got like a 12 pack. It ain't even a six pack. It's like a 12 pack abs and they're playing volleyball and they're doing all this stuff, bouncing around all happy, but they never show a, tr- a car wrapped around an oak tree. 
They show us this picture that looks so good on the outside, but they never show what it ends up being once you've gone down that path. They paint a picture that's not there. They got girls on Hardy's commercials with five-pound hamburgers and, and, and short little tops on with tight little shorts on. And they're riding mechanical bulls with grease dripping off their elbows. And they're chewing on this big old hamburger. And they're telling you, like, you need one of them. And the reality of it is, though, you don't eat those hamburgers and look like that. I know. She's never had a hamburger in her life. And we just come to this place, we think, man, it's a promise that's never fulfilled. It's never realized. It's never recognized. And we need to realize that Jesus offers us the best life and we see who he is and we understand what he's like and we know the love he has for us and we see what he's done for us. Then we can come and we can fully surrender our lives. And I'm asking you, I'm begging you, that we would come to a place where we, just, we encourage one another, that we come to this place of laying down our lives, that God can be glorified, that we can have the life He's called us to have. It says in Luke 19, 41 through 44, Jesus says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, if you, and he's talking to the people, Jerusalem represents the people. He says, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground you and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another. Listen, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Basically, Jesus is telling them very clearly, there's going to come a day of destruction. There's going to come a day when, when destruction comes. And here's the thing that's going to happen. They're going to come and they're going to destroy your very lives. They're going to destroy the lives of your family. Why? Because you didn't recognize the plan of salvation. You didn't recognize God's coming to you. My question to you today is, have you recognized God's coming to you? Have you come to this place of surrender? Have you given it up to God? Have you come to this place where you've taken things on yourself that aren't yours to take? Have you taken your eyes off of him? Have we gotten away from the truth of his word and the great news of the gospel? Because here's the reality. If we're not living in that place of our eyes fixed on Christ and our hearts belonging to Him, our lives surrendered to Him, then the triumphal entry, the crucifixion, the resurrection, His ascension, the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's just news amongst other news. But if we've come to that place where we recognize who He is and what He is like and we've surrendered our lives to Him, then we come to this amazing place it's the greatest news we've ever heard. And it trumps any other news that we could have because we know that in the end we win. In fact, we know that already we have won victory through Jesus. This week I was trying to think and pray and I don't know the last time that I really wrestled with how to wrap this up. I mean, how to land the plane, right? I was like, God, I feel like we call people to surrender often. We call them this place of repentance and faith often. How can I help them understand it? Because one of the things I hear a lot is people will come up to me and they'll go, it all sounds good, but how do I do that? How do I surrender? And my first reaction to that is surrender. I, I mean, it seems pretty simple, right? But I started thinking about it. I even started going to definitions and trying to figure out what does this surrender really look like? What, what does it mean? And I came across a definition. It was actually on the dictionary on my um, 
Mac, my MacBook Pro. And I came across this, and it's not theologically written, but I think it speaks to a lot of theological truths. And the definition I came across was ceasing resistance to an enemy or opponent and submitting to their authority. Ceasing resistance to an enemy or opponent and submitting to their authority. And I want you to see real quick as we wrap this up, a couple of things about this definition, four things. The first one is that surrender, it means to cease to resist. It means to stop resisting. It means to say, okay, I'm done fighting. And I know this, there's some people here in this group that your whole life you've been resisting God. You've been fighting God. It's been you against God. There's some people here today who you're resisting God in parts of your life, in places that you're, you're just resisting surrender to Him. And today, today may be the day. The day can be the day. The day should be the day that you let that go. I was thinking about it. I thought first maybe about a police arrest where somebody, they, they resist arrest, right? Some of y'all know about that, right? And you come to this place where you finally, they tase you or whatever, you finally quit resisting. But I think with God, it would look more like someone saving you from drowning. It's the lifeguard that comes in. Have you ever seen somebody get rescued when they're about to drown and the lifeguard goes out? And what do the people do? They start hitting and they fight. And many times they, they don't realize that this person's there to save them and they're still fighting for their life. But when they finally stop resisting, the lifeguard's able to drag them to shore to save their life. I would ask you, why are you resisting the one who desires to save your life and keep you from drowning? Why would we not just surrender and let go and allow God to perform the rescue that he came to perform? The second one is that surrender means you accept God's offer of peace. I want to read just real quick Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 10. It says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he says, since we have been now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And listen, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? here's the thing that we don't realize apart from Christ we're enemies with God because we made him an enemy in our mind our behavior we fought against God and when we come to Christ and we recognize who he is and what he is like we come to this place of surrendering and we accept God's offer of peace and we're reconciled to God and he brings peace between us and him he's no longer angry his wrath was poured out on Jesus so that you could be at peace with him when we surrender, it's accepting this offer of peace from God. Third thing is that you no longer oppose Him. You no longer oppose Him. The definition says that an enemy or an opponent. An opponent is somebody you compete against. And too many people here today are competing against God for a position that rightfully belongs to Him. 
There is only one person, one being, and that is God, that is Jesus, who deserves to be on the throne of heaven and deserves to be on the throne of our lives, and that is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we come to this recognition that it is his position and we begin to understand what kingship means and what lordship means because we have no clue what that means in our culture and in our society. But the reality of it is that we we get a vote on everything. We vote on everything in our country. But God's not interested in our opinion. God is interested in having premium or the, 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 the highest position. Kingship, the king. We submit. We allow him to have our lives. The last one is that we do submit to his glory. We no longer buckle or are no longer bucking his authority. We're no longer trying to put our will above his will. But we surrender to his good, pleasing, perfect will. And this is the thing that we know that that is the best way. We just let it go and we surrender. We say, God, here I am. It would be like bringing God a blank check that is your life and saying, Lord, write on it what you will. We don't see that a lot in American Christianity. It's saying, God, I'm, I'm done living. The only life I have is the life you live in me. It'll never happen until we realize who he is. Until we realize what he's like. There's one last thing I'll tell you. When Jesus sends the disciples, we don't really know who they are. He sends a couple of disciples to go get the donkey. He comes to this place where he tells them, when you go, you'll find this donkey. Untie him. If anybody asks you, what are you doing? You tell them that the Lord sent you. And this happened and they said, basically, okay, take it. I was reading this the other day, studying the other day, and had this realization that in that moment, at that point in time, Jesus' lordship trumped their ownership. He said, Lord, the Lord needs it. I wonder what today God would be saying, you need to untie. You need to let go. His lordship needs to rule and reign in your life that you are holding onto like a weight that is taking you under. His lordship trumps your ownership in everything. You come to that place of faith and repentance and surrender to let it go and let God have it all. Surrender is a moment, but it's also a process that we go through for the rest of our lives. It's moment by moment, day by day. You can't live any day but this one. Will you live it, surrender to the Lord? Trusting Him, giving your life to Him, allowing Him to untie the burdens you can walk in the abundant life because I've heard it said before, it's true that when we're most satisfied, he's most glorified in us. Let's pray, God, thank you so much that God, through your love, that even while we were sinners, you died. Even when we were enemies, you died. 
even when we had set ourselves against you, opposed you, you died. Even, God, we had no interest in you. You died. God, I pray that your unconditional love would bring unconditional surrender. Unconditional following you, God. Lord, that we realize we don't do this to be saved. We do it because we are saved. It's your spirit working in us. And mostly, God, I pray that you would open someone's eyes today to the reality of the gospel, that we quit playing games with you, that we quit putting on masks with you, that we quit putting up this puppet show of coming in and going out, just curious or conditionally submitted or threatened by you, and that we would realize who you are and what you're like, and we would give our lives to you. And God, right now, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and show us what we're holding back. in our hearts I want to pray for you today I want to pray for those of you who know there's something in your life you need to let go of you need to surrender some things that you need to untie today and and right where you're at this is what I want you to do I want you to just put your hand in there but I can see clearly you got things you need to surrender you need to let go put your hand up and we're going to pray just keep it up and surrender to God and surrender to the Lord we're going to pray today that God would take this weight as we lay it down at his feet. Jesus, we come to you. We ask you right now in, in, in your name, Lord, we ask that you would um, loose us to freedom in you, God, that your spirit would bring a revelation clarity, God, that right now we would be in that moment of recognition of your plan and your salvation. And it would so overwhelm us that whatever we're focused on, whatever we're consumed with, whatever we're worried about, God, it would begin to melt away. And God, as we lift our hands to you, God, it is in surrender that we lift them to you, trusting you to do what only you can do, trusting you, God, to do what only you can do. And that is bring peace that surpasses understanding. That is to let us walk free the burdens that would hold us down. Father, we surrender those to you. We lay them down. Our identity, God, we, we lay it before you. We pick up the identity of Christ. Our financial worries, God, we lay them down and trust you as our provider. God, our concerns with relationships, Lord, we, we lay them down and God, we God was to focus on the one relationship that matters, which is you. I do what only you can do in our hearts. I want to give you an opportunity today if you're here and, and you, don't, you don't know the Lord, you know, you've never come to that moment of faith and repentance where you turn from your life and you turn to the life of God. And you know today you need Him in your life and the Lord has opened your eyes to the reality and the realization of who He is and what He's like. This is what I want to give you an opportunity to do today. I want you to just, right where you're at, pick your hand up. We want to celebrate this with you. You don't know the Lord, you need to know Him. You know that you need Him in your life. Will you raise your hand? take the first step because we're going to take the rest of them with you Father we thank you thank you that we can trust you you've proven that to us through your cross we love you and praise you for who you are what you do in your son's name that we pray thank you for being our strength amen